Hey, it's Josh. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to let you all know that the Vermont Public Spring Membership Drive has arrived. Donations from folks like you make everything we do here possible. If you want to help support our people-powered journalism, be sure to make a donation in any amount by March 16th by going to bravelittlestate.org donate. And as always, thank you for your support. Lily, this is May. Hi, Lily. So this is, um, did your mom and dad tell you that there was going to be a podcast? Okay, cool. Um, so May's going to have the microphone and she'll just be, like, listening as we do art. Isn't that cool? That's a microphone. Look how cool. Do you want to touch it? It's fussy. <laughs> May Nagueski, tell me where this tape comes from. Yeah. A couple weeks ago, I drove to Huntington to talk to Bridget Vorse. So pack up your snack or take your last bite, and then we're going to come over to the art table. Bridget has worked in early childhood education for a long time now. And right now she teaches an after-school art class right at the town hall in Huntington. Yeah! Beautiful! They're so cool! Bethany. On the day I visit, the art activity is silk screening. So there was a bunch of paint and paper and markers and a lot of creative juices flowing. Okay. How's it going for you? This is um, really going well. Like, the first one here is not, is not a good one. This one's better. It was kind of funny. There was paint that was spilled on the floor out of nowhere, and there was this one kid who got really upset that the pink that they used was too light. They ran out of, like, blue and purple, and that became one of the biggest catastrophes I've I've witnessed in, in many days. If you don't want paint on that shirt, like, to stay on it, go rinse it really, really, really good. This was an incredibly overwhelming experience for me. And all I needed to keep track of was my audio recorder. Bridget, on the other hand, the teacher, you know, she's so experienced in this field. But she has an added challenge right now because she has a one-year-old baby. But the problem is she doesn't have childcare, And so she's teaching this art class with her baby strapped directly to her chest. While these little kids are running around asking her questions, her daughter is literally screaming right in her face. From Vermont Public, this is Brave Little State. I'm Angela Evansy. Here on the show, we answer questions about Vermont that have been asked and voted on by you, our audience, because we think our journalism is better when you're a part of it. Today, I think it was that article in Seven Days that talked about an eight-month, ten-month, year-and-a-half waiting list for kids, and that's what sparked this question. A question about Vermont's child care crisis and what happens when families who want child care and can maybe even afford it can't get a spot. What do families do when they're on the waiting list for child care? They have a baby, they have a young child. 
then what decisions are they forced to make in those circumstances? What are the trade-offs? How are they managing? Our winning question asker is Julie Cadwallader-Staub of South Burlington. Her children are all grown up. In fact, she's a grandmother now. But she's no stranger to this issue. 30 years ago, when we moved into Vermont, this was a very difficult struggle then. I remember our childcare costs exceeding the cost of our rent that first year here. And now I have neighbors two doors down who are struggling with the exact same thing, um, and maybe even more so. Julie says she also spent her career working in early care and education, including advocacy here in Vermont. She's still a member of Let's Grow Kids, which pushed hard this year for legislation that would pour an additional $120 million a year into Vermont's childcare system. Legislation that became law just this week. There's been so much advocacy about it, and that has, again, sparked my curiosity. I've just been really curious about how, how people are managing this now. To answer Julie's question, we meet four families who are making it work, or trying to, each in their own way. Brave Little State is a proud member of the NPR Network. Welcome. Thanks to Vita for their support of Brave Little State. Since 1974, Vita has helped Vermont businesses grow and thrive, from agriculture to energy, startups to family companies. Find solutions that fit your business. Visit VEDA.org to start your next chapter today. And Sunset Lake CBD, a farmer-owned business crafting CBD products right here in Vermont. Learn more about their sustainable farming practices, delivery options, and how to support local farmers at sunsetlakecbd.com. Well, May Nagusky, let's stick with you for the next part of this episode. Earlier, you introduced us to Bridget Vorse, the after-school art teacher who teaches with her one-year-old daughter in tow. Can you tell us more about Bridget? Yeah. So Bridget joined a childcare waitlist a few months ago and hasn't heard back. They didn't even ask her name or anything. Like maybe just my email is auto added to a waitlist. So that felt very odd. And also we're so rural out here. There's not a, like not many games in town. Bridget also has a five-year-old son and he sometimes joins her classes, but on the day of my visit, he ended up spending time with another family. I did get to meet him, though. I tried to throw a joke his way. Do you want to hear a joke? But he's pretty shy. Bridget's daughter, on the other hand, not so much. So tell me about your visit. Yeah, Angela. I spent about four and a half hours with Bridget, and I don't think I saw her take a break even once, like not even for my recollection to use the bathroom or take one of those big deep breaths or go on her phone. All day long, every day, like this is my normal, don't stop, do a million things at the same time. <laughs> so I just run on like caffeine and adrenaline all day long from when she wakes up at 545 until she goes to bed at like 6.30, 7 o'clock, and I usually pass out at 
6.30 or 7 with her. Wow. Yeah. I think motherhood gives you like superpowers. It supercharges you and you can do anything. I remember lack of sleep being a trauma with my first child. Like when you have a baby and suddenly you have to wake up several times a night and then you get used to it. It's like your body reorients itself and that's your new normal. So it's been just like me and my husband, you know, tag teaming everything for the last five years. During our interview, her husband Jeff showed up and picked up their son, and they talked about who was going to take their daughter and their dinner logistics and bringing the sun hat to practice versus not. And from what Bridget told me, that's sort of what a lot of the conversations have sounded like for them for the past five years. I feel like I rarely see my husband. I usually fall asleep during the little time that we would actually hang out. You know, those nights that I can stay awake and we're both just exhausted on the couch. Like, we'll look at each other and say, like, hey, like, I still love you. Like, you know, you're still the one. So, yeah, like, we've had five dates in five years. I've had one night where I've been away from my son. That's it. May, obviously, the the question we're trying to answer in this episode is, you know, how are families like Bridget and Jeff's who are on a wait list for at least one child to get into uh, child care, you know, how are they making it work and what trade-offs are they making? So I'm curious what Bridget told you about what she thinks her big trade-offs are. Well, in a lot of ways, it's her own personal time and personal sort of dreams with her job. Bridget and Jeff moved to Vermont right after their son was born. And so because of that, over the past five years, she's prioritized childcare over a career and therefore has just picked up jobs here and there. Working at the preschool. A homeschool pod for working at a perennial garden. Seven art sub position. Working. Being the local art um, teacher, which is one nannying. And this one. (laughs) So over the past five years, she's worked nine different jobs. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's really hard. It's like an opening will come up. Like there's a woman in town who takes care of kids and she had an opening. And I was like, there's an opening. I don't necessarily have a job to apply to for this opening, you know? So then do you just like sign your kid up and pay until you have a job? Or a job will come up and you're like, oh my gosh, I want to apply to that job. That'd be a great job. Um, But you may not have childcare. So what I've been doing because I moved here without a job prior to being in Vermont is I've just been like taking the job that I have childcare for. Bridget also told me about some of their financial stress. Our dream is like, ooh, yeah, when we have child care and when we have two people working, wow, can you imagine the freedom we're going to feel? Can you imagine the, you know, um, lack of stress we'll feel in our life that that's going to be living, you know? So I'm like, you know, always thinking about what's my next step? What's my next move? What do I have to do for the, the next thing? Um, and that's just like so draining in addition to keeping track of doctor's appointments, keeping track of, you know, like um, dentist appointments, school events, everything that goes into like the mental load of motherhood. She worked a lot of her life taking care of kids and she feels as though now that she has her own kids, Mm -hmm. everything's telling her to just like push them off to another person to take care of them. And that really isn't the way that she wants to live her life. But because of that, 
she feels like there's all of these outside pressures that she doesn't really have control over. I have spent three quarters of my life taking care of everybody else's kids and raising everybody else's kids, I feel like. And so there is a little bit of a bitterness in me that like to make all the pieces work, I have to pay someone else to raise my kids. And like, that's a really hard, um, I don't know, thing to, to swallow for somebody who has like spent my whole life raising somebody else's kids. You know, everybody stops you in the grocery store to say like, oh, enjoy it while you can. That goes by so fast. It's like, yeah, but why do we have to be stressed out about everything else when we want to just like be present and absorb these adorable little people in these years that they still want to hang out with us? So I like that breaks my heart. Like I'll get a little emotional about that, but just that... Um, Financial stress and work stress and childcare stress detracts from this precious, precious time that we can't get back. May Nagueski. Next up, Josh Crane talks with a mom who has spent two years in waitlist limbo. Here's Josh. Just don't pet the cat. Okay. She doesn't like strangers. Sammy Gordon lives in South Barry with her 14-month-old son, Noah. Hey there. Fire animals. Oh, you have the hiccups. Can you say hello? Oh, nice wave. We get settled for the interview on the couch. Or Sammy and I get settled. <laughs> Noah doesn't really do settling. Yeah. So moving his body, being outside, he likes to explore everything. He doesn't like to stay still. Every time I look up during the interview, Noah's doing something different. Playing with his helicopter. Touching my microphone. Sliding down a ramp. And are you going down again? The energy level is impressive, especially since Noah and Sammy didn't sleep very much the night before. Sammy says it took Noah almost seven hours to fall asleep. So it started at 8.30 and went all the way to 3 a.m., so I'm pretty exhausted. Mostly sleepless nights are unusual for Sammy. But being tired is not. That's part of balancing a full-time job with being what she calls a solo mom by choice. Sammy had Noah by way of fertility treatments. I basically was like, I don't need to force myself to fall in love and kind of follow the stereotypical family system in order to have a child. So I was like, I could do this on my own. Uh, how early did you start thinking about or start planning for childcare? Um, when I found out that the pregnancy was going to be successful and um, that I needed to get on some lists, I was five weeks pregnant and I got on 10 different lists in the area. It's been almost two years since then, which has meant a lot of waiting, but also a bunch of false starts. Like when her friend's mom tried to help out. She runs a daycare for children over two years old, but she knew Sammy hadn't gotten off any waitlist. So she made an exception for baby Noah. The first five days went great, except they were also the last five days. Sammy's friend's mom realized it just wasn't sustainable. And that's when I was just going back to work. And so then I had no one, and I had to scramble At one point, Sammy looked into starting her own daycare. She did receive a lot of interest from local families. 
but between insurance costs and other regulations, it just wasn't a viable option. I was very excited at the idea of being home with Noah and being able to care for other kids, but that was not something that I could financially sustain. Eventually, Sammy did get off one of the 10 wait lists she was on. And I had to really fight for that spot, and I got it. But her relief was short-lived. And then months later, they decided to close their doors to their infants and toddlers. So then we were back to waiting on the wait list. Sammy says they closed due to staff shortages. In between all these false starts, Sammy's mom filled in the childcare gaps. And she's still Sammy's best option right now. Yes, yeah. Um, Except for when she has an appointment and I need to try to scramble for someone to watch him. Unfortunately, as a, as a solo mom, it's really hard for me to pay people more than what I get paid myself. Sammy works for Washington County Mental Health Services, and she makes about $22 an hour. Which is pretty good. Child cares mostly are around $225 a week that people need to pay. Luckily, Sammy qualifies for subsidies, reducing the cost of care to around $50 a week. Of course, she needs to be able to actually find childcare in order to get the cost relief. Now she's about to start a new job as a housing counselor. It's not going to solve her childcare dilemma, but she's looking forward to the work itself. Um, I've grown up in homelessness and poverty, so it's really a passion to help people who are also going through that. When Sammy was growing up in Vermont, she and her mom moved around a lot. So just constantly moving due to either lack of housing, lack of ability to manage money, being evicted. We just kept moving. When I first contacted Sammy for an interview, she said, I would have never imagined childcare being one of my most significant struggles. This is coming from someone who is the first person in her family to go to college, who went to great lengths to have a baby without a partner, and who's figured out how to raise that baby in a stable home. That's something that I wanted so desperately as a child. It's amazing that I could give that to him. Sammy just has a way of making things happen. But this childcare thing, it's been really hard. She's basically putting all her paid vacation time towards filling the gaps, and she's reliant on her mom in a new way. Now that she has Noah as a grandchild too, she's very motivated to being a part of his life and supporting me in helping him. And it's exhausting. It's, uh, my mom um, is on disability, so she, it is exhausting for her to watch Noah every single day. As for the possibility of childcare in the future, Sammy's not optimistic. This fall will mark two years of being stuck in waiting list limbo. She wishes more employers offered childcare for their employees. But until then, she has some advice for other people thinking of having kids. Yeah, get on waitlist as soon as possible. <laughs> and then just keep reaching out, just checking in with them. Do you have any openings yet? Do you have any openings yet? Getting creative, talking to someone about the care that you need. Hopefully then they could find something through a means of word by, uh, spreading the word. I can't even think anymore. It's getting to be the end of a long day after a long, mostly sleepless night. Sammy says she has no regrets when it comes to being a solo mom, 
but that doesn't mean she never feels lonely. On nights like last night, I was just thinking how hard it is sometimes to not have someone who could just be like, here, let me take him, go take a breather, take a shower, come back when you're ready. It would be so nice if somebody could just ask me how I'm doing. One of the ways she gets through is by leaning on her village. That's what she calls her network of neighbors, family, friends, and doulas. I think connecting with people is very important and focusing on your own mental health so that you can be there for your children and get through difficult times. I think that's really important. After the interview ends, Sammy and Noah walk me to my car. We say our goodbyes. Bye. Bye. Bye, Noah. And I start to pack up my recording gear. Before leaving, I turn around. As if on cue, I see one of Sammy's neighbors step outside. He checks in with Sammy, plays with Noah, and then hands them dinner. Josh Crane. After the break, a stay-at-home dad who just hopes this is temporary. A mí me gustaría regresar a trabajar. Entonces, en un momento que, que se abre el, el espacio. I'm Angela Evansy, and this is Brave Little State. When I meet Flavio Jimenez Alfonso, he's holding his six-week-old son, Arturo. Flavio's wife, Cap Briars, is offering a piece of pizza to their older son, Alfonso, a.k.a. Alfie. He's three. Pepperoni. Pepperoni. Is that your favorite? Yeah. This family lives in southern Vermont, in Bennington. But this interview is happening closer to the center of the state, in Plainfield, at an Airbnb that they've rented. It's Kat's first week back at work after having Arturo, and she has to be at a two-day meeting in nearby Montpelier. I thought for a brief moment I might drive up for and drive home and then realize that the only way to really do it was to bring my whole family. So now we're making a vacation out of being up here for a couple of days. The rental is super nice, but vacation might be a stretch. It's been raining, so Alfie hasn't been able to ride his little balance bike. And there's a new baby on the scene. That's an adjustment for everyone. Here's Flavio. Especialmente cuando... Especially when Alfonso doesn't go to daycare, I feel that he requires my attention. And what sometimes stresses me out the most is that sometimes I like to play with him or do other things, go outside. But sometimes you need to be with the baby, and you can't do that. It's like today, just like yesterday. I wanted to go out, but I couldn't because the baby is here. 
We can't go out. It's raining. It's cold. I get stressed when I want to take him out as much as possible so that he can learn other things. But sometimes I just put him there on the TV and he stays there. And for me, it's like, I wonder if I'm doing well as a dad. You always have those questions. What is it like to be a good dad? That is what I think sometimes. I worry. A veces me preocupo, ¿no? Sí, sí. Por su desarrollo. ¿Qué tanto le estoy enseñando? No, no sé. Sí. To be fair, this week is an aberration. Normally, this family is at home in Bennington, where Kat works as the director of an affordable housing nonprofit. And normally, Alfie is in full-time extended hours daycare, while Flavio stays home with baby Arturo. Bueno, eh, actualmente, eh, pues yo la que estoy este, encargado de, de cuidar el bebé, Well, currently, I'm the one in charge of taking care of the baby for almost two months now. I stopped working. While waiting for childcare, we were analyzing which one of us goes to work, doing the financial, economic analysis. Right now, it suits me to take care of the baby, because my work is a little more flexible or informal. I'm in carpentry, and Kat is one who covers most expenses in the family. This is the family's arrangement by choice. Kat's relatively new to her job, and it's a big job with high demands and enough income that they can afford to send Alfie to daycare while Flavio stays home with the baby. And even though he's not officially working, this setup leaves him with enough energy that he can do carpentry projects on their house, which Kat calls a classic fixer-upper. And most importantly for this episode, Arturo's waitlist, they chose to be on it because that daycare is their top choice. The wait list that we're on is for the daycare that our older Alfie currently goes to, and they don't accept kids until they're at least 10 months old. So the earliest that we can actually have a, a place is in February, and we are, are waiting for that. All things considered, Kat and Flavio seem to have things well and calmly in hand. Maybe it's because their kids, at least in this phase, are, dare I say, angelic? Like right now, Alfie is playing with a pack of Uno cards on his own, not making a sound. And Arturo is passed out on Flavio's chest. Eh, todo bien, tranquilo. No, es muy paciente. <laughs> so, yeah, low stress is also due to the lottery card that you're dealt. And we, we got a good lottery card um, twice now. So, easy kids, check. Kat and Flavio say they also feel good about the exposure to Spanish that Alfie's daycare offers. Something that was a nice surprise and one reason, you know, we're on the wait list for the daycare that Alfie's at and why he's had such a great experience. We were super lucky in his first year there that one of his full-time teachers um, is a native Spanish speaker from Mexico. Um, she actually is not there any, any longer, but a lot of the teachers love to speak Spanish with Alfie, the little words that they know here and there. So... That, that's what I feel like, you know, we, we, we've got in the bag at the moment and we'll keep looking at different options. And we're not that far from, from Albany in Western Massachusetts where there are concentrations of people that speak Spanish. So I feel like that's the next horizon for, frankly, having to, yeah, like leave Bennington to maybe find more. Although that said, I mean, we've, we've in Burlington, Flavia likes the idea of Burlington a lot. Um, that said, I shouldn't, I shouldn't short shrift our um, community of Spanish speakers that we have built um, 
primarily people that have kids and trying to spend as much time with them as, as we can. Y en el futuro, pues igual este, eh, me gustaría que Alfie eh, eh, aprendiera eh, bien las dos lenguas, inglés y español. And in the future, I would like Alfie to learn both English and Spanish well, so that when he goes to Mexico, where my family is, he can communicate. I would like him to speak both languages, since where I was born, where I grew up, we spoke an indigenous language in Maya, and I learned it. But now I don't practice. Well, there's no one to speak it with. But I think that with speaking Spanish and English, it would be fine for us. Creo que eh, por lo menos que hablan al español y el inglés ya con eso estoy bien. If slash when Arturo gets off that wait list, Flavio and Kat know they'll have to do some recalibrating. Even if Flavio goes back to work, they're not sure they'll be able to afford daycare for two kids full time. So maybe Alfie goes down to a few days a week. Or maybe when he goes to preschool, Vermont's universal pre-K law will help a little bit. So that's why we really do take it day to day. I mean, you might talk to us, you know, next February where, oh my gosh, if we got a place at daycare, but we may be having a real, a really challenging moment of running the numbers in that moment. Does it make sense? Maybe it doesn't. For now, this approach is working because it's temporary. At least Flavio hopes it is. He says he doesn't want to be a stay-at-home dad forever. I would like to return to work. So when a spot is open, I would like to go back to work because I still like being there. Perhaps I'll feel a little better. But no arrangement is perfect. Kat remembers that before they had a second, they were both working with Alfie and daycare. And it took a different kind of toll. We constantly were put in the position of having to talk in ways around Basically, the question of whose time is more valuable when Alfie got sick and, and despite being in daycare, but had to be home from daycare. And that's the worst position to be in as a, as a couple trying to have a healthy, mutually supportive relationship is having to use terms that are basically, well, is your time more valuable than my time today? Uh, so that's really kind of one of the trade-offs or strategies is like, well, if, if he's not working, at least we're not having that conversation on a, on a regular basis. And that's way better for us as a household is to just think about this as a strategic you know, short-term thing, until maybe it isn't <laughs> when, that, when that space comes up at daycare. What Alfie and Arturo think about all this remains, for now, a mystery. What do you think, Alfie? You love daycare? What do you feel about daycare, Alfie? Who's your teacher at, who's your teacher at daycare? What's your best, best teacher? That's how I feel when someone put points a microphone right. in my face. He's probably, I don't even know what that is. It's okay. Thanks again to this family for making some time for me during their pseudo vacation. Our last profile today comes from Myra Flynn. Hi, I'm Emily Ely. And what's your name? Kobzik Ely. Bo Altus Kobzik Ely. Bo Altus Kobzik Ely. I'm Matt Kobzik. <laughs> and I have little Lane Cobzik Ely, six mm. months, well, five and a half, five and three Lane quarter months Avery. old. Lane Avery. 
Emily, Matt, Beau, and Lane all live in the old north end of Burlington. I'm speaking with them during their evening dinner routine, and it isn't easy to have a conversation. They keep jumping up to stir the food on the stove, bounce baby Lane, and keep Beau, their toddler, from trying to share. Oh, he has salami. That's, mm, no, that's he not... No, can't have salami, No, baby. he can't have that. Okay. No. You can have that, but he can't have salami just yet, okay? Thanks for sharing. Emily is 38, Matt is 33, Bo is three and a half, and Baby Lane is five and a half months. And Baby Lane doesn't know it, but he's been on a waiting list for a while now. He was waitlisted in utero. I got pregnant in March, and like essentially as soon as we got a positive pregnancy test, I think like April, I started looking. And started, like, figuring out wait lists. Emily owns her own business, and it's a pretty unique one. After years of grinding away in the nonprofit sector, public service, and corporate America, she realized quickly how unsustainable most work models are, and now works to help others have a similar epiphany. She offers anti-capitalist business coaching for folks she believes have been historically left out of the business conversations altogether. Enter parenthood, a grind of a different kind. I don't have paid leave. So, like, you know, essentially there's a strong correlation, immediate correlation between how many hours I work and how much money I make because uh, I'm not salary. And so then, oh, that's it right there. And so leading up to having Lane, I had to, I, like, essentially just doubled my hours so that... I could then afford to take off two months. Well, my current company, I only got one week. Honestly, it felt like just a slap in the face. I was like, why did you even, why even bother? Why even bother? Why did you even bother offering any leave at all? Like, you get more vacation time to literally vacation <laughs> than you do to, like, have a baby. Yeah. Matt, Emily, and Beau moved to Vermont in 2020 from Montclair, New Jersey. Starting fresh and forming community, buying a house, having two kids has all happened for them in a mere three years. So it hasn't been easy. But the waiting game, that tipped the scale from hard to unbearable. It was all prior to him being born. We were on wait lists, but a lot of them, they were like, we're not sure what our wait list will look like. We can't give you definite answers. We don't, we can't confirm that you're actually on a wait list even. Like you have to send in like, I think it was like a $35 check, $25 check, something like that to even be considered for the wait list. Wait, you had to, you had to pay $35 to be wait listed on a wait list? <laughs> Well, Bo like- is in daycare, and Emily says his center offers a discounted rate for siblings to attend. So the Ely Kobziks were counting on their kids attending the same place, under the same care. Only one problem. They had shut down their infant rooms. So they were like, you're on the wait list for the infant room if the infant room opens, but we can't tell you if the infant room will open, and if it does, we don't know when. Why was the infant room closed? They didn't have enough teachers. This is a pretty big deal in the world of parents and guardians. Infants who go to child care centers are so vulnerable, which is why federal regulations require infant rooms to have more staffing and extra care. So here they are. Emily worked twice her hours while incredibly pregnant, got little Lane on a wait list in utero only to have him and have no one to care for him. 
the Ely Kobsicks moved into what I like to call pivot parenting. First, they got organized. So yeah, so he was on those three wait lists, and then we had like a whole spreadsheet of entertaining other places. A lot of folks were just like, we won't even let you on the wait list, regardless of what year it is. <laughs> like, good luck. <laughs> Talk to us in five years kind of thing. Then they talked sacrifices. And even before Lane was born, they talked ultimate sacrifices. Were you ever like, maybe we just won't even have a second kid. Maybe we'll just stick with one because we can't afford to have another. I actually explicitly remember a conversation <clears throat> where I don't remember how the conversation started, but Matt, my partner, was like, well, what are we going to do? Just not have a second child? And I was like, It hadn't occurred to me prior to that conversation that having a second child might become a decision based on financial necessity versus, like, desire to have one. Here's some financial context for the Ely Kobziks. Matt makes about $95,000 a year working for a business based out of Houston. Emily, about $50,000. These incomes don't sound too shabby in the grand sense of economics and households, but factor in a mortgage, childcare, and, you know, life stuff. These folks say their income doesn't actually grant them a day off from constant financial stress. And they've realized that in the system of kids, guardians, and teachers, parents aren't the only ones feeling that crunch. One of their daycares reached out to them for help. Late last year... They did like a food drive for like yeah. food insecure teachers. For their teachers. I'm like, we already pay. They asked us to bring four food in. grand, a, you know, $1,600 a month for Bo for four days a week. And yet somehow they, you know, the teachers are still food insecure. I'm like, this is so. <laughs> I'll note here as a parent that I too have played this game and it's a nasty one. Parents and guardians pay way more than they can afford, while teachers are woefully underpaid, and yet somehow that's all supposed to work out. So the Ely Kobziks made a final pivot in their waiting game. They decided to start over with a new plan and throw money at that. This month, we will spend $4,000 on childcare between two nannies and daycare. Like, just to cover, yeah, the days. And even that pivot, the pivot to two nannies, wasn't easy. We had two nannies say they were on board, both no-showed the first day. I had consolidated my work hours to 15 hours a week. I was working 15 hours a week, running an entire business on 15 hours a week. Matt was showing up for work, completely sleep-deprived, five days a week. And now, finally, the Ely Kobziks are getting a chance to stop pivoting. Lane has been accepted to daycare. Not the same one as his brothers, but that's not a sticking point for them right now. They're just limping towards the finish line of relief. Yeah, so Lane will begin June 20th, um, which feels crazy to me. How are you How are you both doing? Are you hanging in there? Oh, I, um, Matt and I have this uh, insane ability to, like, only get stronger and more connected the more trials and tribulations you throw at us. And I'm like now crying. Oh. But um, <clears throat> um, this has definitely been harder, the hardest. Oh, this was this harder than harsh. Bo, even with COVID, 
you know, and like Bo being born and like then COVID happening. <clears throat> this has been this harder has been for sure. The hardest. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like we're like roommates, you know, like I feel like we're just like friends or roommates. Like or, there's well, not we're a still lot of FWBs, right? <laughs> FWB. What is FWB? Friends with benefits. <laughs> oh, OK. OK. Yeah, got it. Got it. <laughs> We mentioned above that Emily is an anti-capitalist coach for small businesses. The irony of her job and her family's recent journey towards such an expensive endeavor was not lost on me. How do you reconcile your personal involvement in capitalism, specifically when it comes to some of these needs that you're talking about? Yeah, I would say, um, first, I in no way, shape or form, like blame the schools, the teachers, um, I think it's really unfortunate that like we've built a system in which education has become privatized. I would say like that's my biggest gripe is like the fact that daycare is privatized. Like so first and foremost, daycare should just be universal. I asked Emily if she had any words of wisdom for parents and guardians currently suffering through the insufferable waiting list game. I think especially um, for mom identifying folks there's such a strong narrative in capitalism that it is your fault and you should be able to figure this out and you should be able to push through and you should be able to multitask and you should be able to cook an amazing dinner while taking care of your two children while simultaneously posting your new products to Etsy. Like that, that's not true. There are anomalies. And so if you're struggling, if there's no spot on daycare, if your business is starting to feel like it's failing, if your boss is pissed that you're not showing up on time, these aren't reflections of personal failings. These are reflections of a system that was not built with you in mind. And so instead of beating the f- by yourself and trying to push harder or trying to have more discipline or any of those things, like it's okay to be pissed. So, don't blame yourself, don't compare your story to anyone else's, get pissed. But Emily also suggests that when you're in the thick of it, stand still. Don't forget to look around a little. (laughs) This is like the life we're living right now. And do the best you can to get through and find solace in small pieces of joy. And also, like... They're not this small forever as I'm listening to my tiny baby laugh. Like, this isn't our problem forever, right? There there will be other problems in the future, but they do grow up. Myra Flynn. Thanks so much for listening to the show. And thanks to Julie Cadwallader-Staub for the great question. This is my last episode of BLS for a while. I'm stepping in to be the interim head of content here at Vermont Public and leaving this show in the capable hands of our senior producer and now interim managing editor, Josh Crane. And that's not the only change afoot. Our colleague Myra Flynn is spinning off our series Homegoings into its own show. You can find all the details at homegoings.co. And not to worry, BLS is going to keep answering your questions. We've got some great episodes in the works for this summer. 
So keep listening and asking and voting. To see photos of the families we featured today, head to our website, bravelittlestate.org. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the BLS newsletter. We're on Instagram and Reddit at BraveStateVT. This episode was a true team effort with reporting, producing, and mixing by all of us. May Nagusky, Josh Crane, Myra Flynn, and me. Our theme music is by Ty Gibbons, other music by Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to Jan Buonanno, Rob Gerwitt, Peter Engish, Maria Aguirre, and all the folks who replied to our call-out for this episode to share your own stories about childcare wait lists. We are rooting for you. And our show gets lots of help behind the scenes. So a special shout out to our colleague, Brian Holland, for starting to get our episodes up on YouTube. Brave Little State is a production of Vermont Public. If you like our show, you can make a gift at bravelittlestate.org slash donate, or leave us a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. I'm Angela Evansee. We'll be back soon with more people-powered Vermont journalism. Until then. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.